So we are continuing our series on, this is week three of how parents should um, teach, parents should parent their children. I think one of the most important things when we're doing anything for the Lord, especially parenting, is we need to have a proper sense of who we are. We need to have a proper sense of our identity. Okay? So you got to, I think Parent 101, you got to start looking at yourself in a biblical way in order for you to be an effective parent, in order for you to be an effective worker, in order for you to be an effective child. All these relationships are contingent upon how we see ourselves. There are many ways, and there are many ways that the Bible describes what the people of God are. But I think what I want to focus on this morning in relation to parents is we first forward and foremost, have to see ourselves as God's vessels. We are the vessels of God. And that becomes evidently more clear to me as, our, as we are going through Acts. We're still in Acts, right? Are we? We're still in Acts, right? As Bible reading, we're still in Acts. And as I was reading Acts this last week, um, what, uh, what was clear to me about the book of Acts is the book of Acts, the main character is God. And all the people that appears in the book of Acts, Peter, James, Paul, especially, Silas, Timothy, all the, character, all the human figures in the book of Acts are mere vessels of God's work in this world. The book of Acts is about God establishing his church in this world. It takes place after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, and God is using these men to establish his, his church in this world. So there's a brief period of time after Jesus' resurrection and ascension and the ministry of the 12 apostles where God made himself visibly be manifested here in this world. That's why when in the book of Acts, there's so many miracles that happen in the book of Acts. And when the reason why these miracles are happening so commonly in that book is because through the ministry of, it's really busy back there, through the ministry of, you know, as the apostles were preaching the gospel, in order to confirm what the, what the apostles were preaching were true, God made them perform miracles and allow the world to see the miraculous work. Okay, so this is, once again, to shorten the, under, the, the description, that in the book of Acts, the apostles were vessels, and God is the main character. And this is evident in the way Paul describes himself in, in the, in, in, throughout his letters. The most common way that Paul describes himself through his letters is, Paul describes himself as, a bondservant, a slave to Christ. That's the, one of the most common ways that Paul describes himself. And this is clearly illustrated in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 9. Remember in 1 Corinthians, one of the things that were dividing the church was some members of the church said, we want to follow Apollos. Remember that? Some said, we want to follow Paul. And others said, we only follow Jesus. So there was division in the church. Because different people of the church want to follow different leaders of the church. 
But this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 to 9. What shall, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God, God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. They will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field and God's building. Paul is saying, Apollos, whether you say you follow Apollos, whether you follow me, that doesn't matter. Because we are just mere instruments. We are mere servants of God in the service of his church. You need to understand something. The healthy identity of the Christian is you need to see yourself as vessels of the living God. Yes, you are recipients of God's grace and mercy and love. Yes, you are the children of the living God. And that's all true. But but one of the main reasons why he created you and saved you is so that you can be an instrument of good works. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are vessels of the living God. And God has purposely designed you precisely and placed you precisely in the life that you are in so that he could use you to bring about great work. And that's exactly how you have to see yourself as parents, as vessels of God to do good works in the life of your children. Your children are not the extensions of your, who you are. They're not your mini-me's. Even though when I look at my daughter, I'm surprised how alike she is with me. But your children are not merely mini-you's, right? They're not vessels to, for you to accomplish your unmet dreams in life. They're not. They are separate individual human beings whom God has called you parents to be vessels of great works in their lives. Uh, comprende? And this is very, very important because parents have a tendency to not look at their kids as individual souls. They have a tendency to see their kids as an extension of who they are. It's quite bizarre, really. And this is very prominent in the the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, right? In the Roman Empire, the way fathers saw their children, fathers had incredible authority over the life of their children. Did you know it was perfectly legal for fathers in the Roman Empire to murder their kids 
and it was legal. When the child is born, they would present the child to the father. And the, and the father looks at the child. And if the father says, I accept the child, then the child becomes a part of that household. But if the child is unacceptable, sorry, ladies, if the child was a girl, the father will say, unacceptable. And if the father says unacceptable, the unaccepted child, whether they're a boy or a girl, will be left in the market. They will either be killed or they will be left in the market. So that boy babies who are abandoned in the marketplace, the, the government would just snatch them up and raise them as soldiers. The women, the ba girl babies who are thrown in the marketplace, the market people will just take them and make them female servants, also like prostitutes. Like, look, I mean, I think, I, mean, I think, side trade, the, the, the most controversial movie right now is called Sound of Silence or something. It's about human child trafficking in the world. They say two million like, children in the world every year are trafficked. Through, like, through, like, are sold into human trafficking. That thing was going on in the Roman Empire. Right now, the guys who traffic the kids, they kidnap the kids. But in the Roman Empire, the few for sex workers were abandoned babies by their parents. Parents had a huge, parents had, had, fathers had, Control over the destiny of their kids. Even the kids they kept and raised. They were expected to obey their parents. Like, strictly. The boy didn't have career options. The boy would pretty much do what his father tells him to do. Son, you will be a computer engineer. So the kid has to be a computer engineer. There is no option to choose. So in the Roman Empire, kids were just considered as natural extension of the fathers. That's why today's scripture lesson is such countercultural. In the minds of the Romans, what do you mean I have to raise a child in the Lord or nurture the child in the Lord? The child is just my extension. He's my proxy in the world. And that's how I see him. But Paul said, and God says, no, they are individual souls that you are called to do God's great work in the life of that child. Do you understand? What, it, what, does God, what does great work that God wants you to do in the life of your children? God wants you to use you to be a vessel of eternal life in the life of your child. Feeding the kid, educating the kid, clothing the kid, very important. But the primary call is to be a vessel of eternal life to your child. Like I said in the last two weeks, eternal life is, the, is, is a period of time where, where eternal life is where people start to live their life in God's terms. 
Sin is living life in my terms, according to my terms, my understanding, my desires, my wants. Eternal life is the fruit of life that you get when a person lives life in God's terms. And the great benefit, and the immense benefit of having eternal life. And one of the things is this constant intervention and healing and teaching of the Holy Spirit. Look, on Friday, sorry, small group people on Friday, I couldn't go because, you know, like this embassy person wanted to have dinner with me, right? He's going back to Korea, right? He's like the consulate general, number one guy in the Korean embassy. Name drop, I'm important, right? And he says, I'm going back to Korea. I really want to meet with you. And I said, I have small group. You're right. Oh, he said, oh, that's unfortunate because today's the last time that I could see see you because I'm going back. I'm, I'm being called back. So I go, I'm sorry. Okay, so I, I, condolences to, my, to the small group. So I went to meet the consulate general and his wife. And I was talking to him for like two hours. Most of our conversation was about God. And what we were talking about was, we said, sometimes, and they asked me, do you not get attacked by the, the, the devil? And I said, yes. And the constant general and his wife said, us too. And, and they say, how do you get out of it, pastor? And I said, it's just simple. I, sometimes I'm in the crazy, crazy, insane place in my life. In moments, there's one moment where the thought starts to grow in my head. Like Leonardo DiCaprio planted inception in my brain. And it starts, to, and the idea and the thought in the idea in my brain starts to grow and grow and grow. And it starts to dominate my thinking and my perception. And when that happens, I become a monster. And the only thing that neutralizes that thought, that madness, is quite simple, really. Open up the Bible, read it and pray. And that's such a Bible study answer, but that's so true. Because when I read the Bible and, and pray, the madness gets neutralized. And, and they said, us too. And I'm here to tell you, one of the blessings of having eternal life is that God prescribes medicine anecdotes to cure your madness. That's an example of eternal life. And that God can use to give to your children through you. Do you understand? That's better than taking your kid to Disney World. God using you to bring about eternal life to your kids. God is also wanting to use, use you as a vessel so that your children can become the people of God. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 to 10 describes, this is what it says. This is, the revela this is John's revelation in, of, 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 of the future. He says, after this, I looked and there were before me a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of, it, of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John is envisioning a group of people, a huge multitude of people, Wearing white, holding bonnet branches, and praising Jesus Christ. 
God wants to use you so that your children can become part of the multitude of people who praises God for all eternity. The way we become the people of God who praises God, who worships God in all eternity. The way we became one of those people was that God gave you vessels. God gave you vessels of grace so that you were able to come to faith. Isn't that true? I don't think many of you just read the Bible and had a eureka moment. Oh, yeah, that's true, and I'm a Christian. I don't think it happened that way. I think throughout the course of your life, God has sent people, men and women in your life, who preach the word to you. And through them, you have become the multitude of the people of God. You did not become a Christian on your own, but you, be, you received grace through the, people, through the vessels that God sent to your life, right? That's how the church works. How was the church built? God sent Peter, James, Paul, right? Andrew, Bartholomew, Simon, all of it. And through them, the world, the, the foundation of the church was laid. And from the apostles on, in every generation, there were men and women who preached the truth that God, whom God sent so that his people can be saved. You were saved through the vessels of grace. You and I are called to be that vessels of grace in the life of our children. Do not primarily see yourselves as parents who instill positive value in the life of your children. They will feel valuable when they know the Lord. Do not see yourself as a protector of your children trying to protect all evil. You should try to protect, you know, protect your children from evil. That's your guardianship. That's also true. But the way that you, your children primarily turn, over, turn against evil it's not, it's not because you put a net around them, but because they know God and they love to do what is right. You are called to be vessels of grace. You need to know that. Man, I'm on fire today. What's going on? The question is, how do you become a vessel of grace? Verse 4, which we're going to focus on. I gave you the first four verses because for small group leaders, you can, you can, you can redo verses one to three, right? You know, but I, I want to focus on verse four. How do you become vessels of God's grace? There's a negative aspect and there's a positive aspect on, on you becoming the vessels of grace. And let's talk about the negative aspect. It says, the negative aspect, the way you become the vessels of grace is by not provoking your children to anger. Parents, if you want to be the vessels of God's grace and love of your children, do not provoke your children to anger. Now is a, is, a, is a time of our sermon where we're going to talk about common ways in which parents provoke their children to anger. But this is, I don't want you to weaponize this. I don't want you to say, oh my gosh, this is what my parents did to me, Right? I don't want you to do that, okay? I just, this is ways in which that it, to edify you to become a vessel of God's grace. Here we go. How do you, what, what does it mean to provoke your children to anger? What this means is this. Don't 
This warning is about this. Don't tempt them to sinful anger. Ultimately, don't be a cause for your children to rebel and run from Christ and from the gospel because of your bad example. So don't provoke your children is, do not upset your children so that they will be turned off by the gospel and so that they will run away from God and Jesus Christ. Meaning, the most common way that people are turned off by the faith is, is, is by their parents making them angry at the gospel. We are the representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the, in the life of our children. We can make the gospel incredibly real and attractive, or we, could, we can be the example of the type of Christian that our children look at and say, I don't want nothing to do with that. If the gospel is making my parents like, if my, if my parents claim to be believing in a gospel and they're acting like that, that's the last thing that I want in my life. And Paul is warning, parents, you have the ability to be a source of becoming, the source of the gospel being off-putting to your children. Don't do that. Paul says, how do you off, make the gospel off-putting? How do, you make, how do you provoke your children to anger so that they will have nothing to do with God? Back to the point that I mentioned before. The number one re- way that you provoke your children to anger is by failing to see them as individual souls. And seeing themselves only in the light, from your perspective, seeing your children as an extension of who you are, and not as individual souls. Common way the parents see their, not see their kids is excessive control over the life of their children. Some children, for example, right? Some parents, for example, um, just, just are, are just obsessive about, contro- about protecting their children from anything that's bad. I know parents love their children and parents do not want their children to suffer. And that is very true. But some parents become obsessive to the point where they schedule the life of their children to its detail who they can be friends with, what they wear, what they can watch, which is important, by the way. They monitor the lives of their children in such meticulously. They put a net around their children, thinking if they, don't, if they let go of the net, then their children will suffer. Protecting your children from evil is an absolute mandate that God has given you. But if your fear is compelling you to be so fearful so that, it's so that that fear leading into such control over the life of your children, eventually your children will grow up to be people who are, who, who are so who will be weak and immature and who will have no sense of reality. 
How do you know this? It's happening in our culture, is it not? Gen Zers, I feel triggered. I, this is, I want a safe, safe space, right? I can't handle, if someone criticizes me, I can't handle it. A lot of the Gen, Z, the Gen Zers, not our children, but a lot of the Gen, common Gen Zers who vocalize just this insanity out there, they're not from, they're from well-to-do homes in America. Did you know this? These kids who, who, who advocate such insanity out there are not the kids who are neglected by their parents. On the contrary, these kids were worshipped by their parents. These, these children were, are raised in an environment where helicopter parenting, the parent just fend off anything that seems to be harmful to their kids. They lived in a bubble. And when they leave their parents' home, and when they face reality, they cannot handle it. I know you mean well. I know you don't want your children to be hurt and suffer, and that's all legitimate and true and good. But if that is making you obsessively control over the life of your children, they will become adults who will become bitter towards you and life and God. Look, what therapists tell their kids, tell their parents is, tell their, t- t- tell their patients is, you are messed up because your parents didn't respect your boundaries. You heard that? Your parents didn't respect your boundaries. They didn't, what that means is they didn't consider you as a human being. They just said whatever they wanted to say. They were incredibly controlling over your life. They didn't respect your boundaries, which means they did not see you as a human being. You were an extension of their fear. You were the extension of their obsessiveness. You were an extension of their unmet dreams. Whatever it is, kids were not looked at as a human being. And when that happens, it messes the kids up. Parents are either excessively controlling or they're excessively uh, protective. All of it, it will hinder the growth of the, the maturity of that child. Another way that parents provoke their children to anger is, once again, related to parents looking at their children as an extension of who they are, they, they, they start to think that their children have to become worshipers of the idols of the parents. Parents have idols in their lives. The idols being, I don't know, education, a Harvard degree, or being a doctor, whatever. These parents have a certain, your parents and my parents have certain idols of, of life. And parents, if they don't respect the boundary with their children, begin to see that their children exist to fulfill the idols, the unmet idols of their hearts. Why do your parents, why do Asian parents still want their children to be doctors? Why? Financial security, but two, the parents want recognition in this world. And they say the, one of the main ways that you get recognition in this world is by being a doctor. And if I can't be a doctor, 
my gosh, my son is going to be a doctor. So that I can live that glory vicariously through my kid. Right? We tend to see our kids in that light. They exist for me. No. They exist for God. Another way that parents provoke their kids to anger is by not loving them. Not making the kid feel that they're loved. Look, one of the dangerous assumptions as parents is we assume that our kids know that we love them. Just because we are parents because we love them, we assume that our children feel love when, when they are with us. That's not necessarily true. Like husband and wives, you just assume that your partner feels that, that they are loved by you. That's not true. One of the marriage, like the, the, marriage, the, the premarital marital counseling that I do, we talk about love languages and even though it's, it's cheesy, the reason why love language is important is because there's a way that spouses feel loved towards each other, right? You can say you love you, you love you, love you, but if they don't feel that they're loved by you, then they don't feel love from you, right? Oh, by the way, I discovered something. They say most guys, their love language is act of service. We don't care about flowers. We don't care about gifts. What we care about is you doing things from us. This is what I really, like what I heard in YouTube. And YouTube is always right, right? Act of service is the way that your husbands feel loved by you, ladies. All turning, just because your kid belongs to you, it doesn't mean they feel loved by you. How do, they, how do your kids feel loved by you? You got to love them incarnationally. What is incarnation love? Incarnation is how does God love us? He just didn't speak down to us from heaven, right? He came as a human being to communicate who he is to us. God just didn't say, I'm God, I love you from heaven. He came down in the form of Jesus Christ. And he walked it with us in this world. Even now, the way he ministers to you, he sends you the Holy Spirit so that you will understand who he is in the way that only you can understand who he is. Look, God speaks to me through Batman. He really does. God speaks to me through, like, law. He, he really does. It's crazy. He speaks to me at my level. My, God speaks to my wife through classical music. I have no idea how that works. But she's often filled with all from all of God through music. Basically meaning he comes down to you, speaks to you at your level to make you know who he is, to make you know that he loves you. I'm going to pat myself in the back. I said to my daughter yesterday, hey, baby, do you know that I love you? She said, yeah. I said, baby, how do you know that I love you? And she said, it's because you just don't throw things at me, meaning you just don't, you just don't throw I love you language and just throw money at me. She says, 
you actually listen to me. You actually take time to be interested in what I'm interested in. And you talk to me through my problems. That's how you know. That's how I know you love me, Dad. Parents, love your children incarnationally. Like my daughter said, your children will not feel that you love them by barking orders at them all the time. You will not, they will not appreciate you from a top-down approach. You know what a top-down approach is? I'm the commander, I bark orders at you. You have to teach your kids. But the way they feel loved and the way they will listen to your orders is by, by, by when they feel loved from you, and they will not feel loved from you unless you love them incarnationally. Look, your children's interests are not your interests. Right? They're not. The funny thing about Mark Wahlberg is he's a lifelong Celtics fan. He's a Boston fanatic. He loves the Celtics. And who is the arch enemy of the Celtics? You, know, you guys don't know? I'm the sports guy. The Lakers. Guess what his son's favorite basketball team is? The Lakers. Your interests and your kids' interests are not the same. My son will not give a two-flying sense about what I think about Carl Bart. Right, son? You don't care about Carl Bart. You don't even know who Carl Bart is. You have to go down to their level. Even though it's dumb. Man, Japanese anime? My gosh, my children, my, my children are into it. But do I just say, oh, stupid? It's Japanese. I'm Korean. I'm not going to accept that. Is that how it works? Incarnationally. But also understand, God loves you incarnationally. He loves you where you are, people. He really does. You gotta let your kids feel loved by you. Another way that kids will feel resentment is that if you don't dis disciple them, if you don't disciple them, they will grow up to be children who resent you and who will resent God. Disciple means constant instruction and teaching to your kids, not only having Bible study with them, but through life just teaching them about God. And, more, and, more, and also, if your kid messes up, discipline them so that your child will see the consequences of their sins. There's a need for your children to be discipled. Because I know you don't want to admit this, because your child is a sinner, just like you are a sinner. I think one of the reasons why parents don't disciple their children is because the parents don't think their kids are sinners. They're so cute. Oh, so cute. Right? So cute. So lovely. So cuddly. The baby smell. Incredible. But make no mistake. Your children have seeds of rebels inside of them. Look. 
being middle-aged now, or like for years now, you can see the way people turn up, right? People, my friends who were raised with me in the church at church, you could see the type of people they become, right? And a lot of my friends, many of my friends who were raised in churches, just like you, your background and your kids' background, some of them grew up to be adults who do horrendous things. Cheating on their spouses, hating their kids. Just horrible things, addicted to things. When they were growing up in the church, their parents saw them and said, oh, my kid cannot be a sinner. Theoretically, you may agree. But certainly, functionally, you don't see your child that has a rebellious spirit against God. But my gosh, people, my children and your children do. And before they grow up to be adults who go away from God and who do horrible things, you need to disciple them. I need to disciple them. One of the ways that you become, another way that, you become, that, that we infuriate our children is we live a life of hypocrisy. You say you believe in Jesus Christ, but at your home, you, act, you, don't act, you don't live consistently with your confession. Like I told you last week, many of my middle-aged, some of my middle-aged friends' children, when they grow up and leave the home, they don't go to church anymore. And they tell me one of the main reasons why their kids don't go to church anymore is they tell their parents, why would I go to church? I see the way you live. I see the way you treat each other. Why would I want to do anything with that? Your kids pick up more from your behavior than from your words. Do you understand? Even your little children will pick up the mood of the home more so than what you tell them. And if you do not love your wife and your husband, if there is sin roaming within you, and gentlemen, I'm, I, I'm, also, I'm also mentioning your secret sins, and ladies, your secret sins all the secret sins that you think is so well covered in your life, they will impact your, your home atmosphere and your children will be able to detect it. And when they see you living a life of hypocrisy, why would they want to believe in Jesus Christ? There are so many things that I can talk about how you can infuriate your children against the Lord. But to some, but I can't because of time. But the warning is, is the number one obstacle for your children to have eternal life and coming into faith is you and me. It's not the world. The number one obstacle for your children coming into faith is you. And Paul says, don't provoke them. Don't be the instrument of them running away from God. 
That's the negative side. The positive side. Paul says, nurture, what, what, what does Paul say in verse 4? He says, don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. NIV says, bring them up in the instruction and the discipline in the Lord. You are to call to raise your parents in the Lord, teaching your kids in the Lord. What does that mean, in the Lord? Look, unbelieving, there are good unbelieving parents out there, right? They really are. Unbelieving parents volunteer in their PTAs, right? They try to raise their kids in a moral way. They tell little Johnny to don't swear, don't lie, be respectful, clean up after yourself, work hard, be a good citizen. There are unbelieving parents out there who are trying to raise their kids morally. They don't need God to try to want, them to want their kids to be moral people. And Christian parents, you also have to train your kids to be moral people, right? then what is the difference between the Christian parents and the non-Christian parents? The difference is Christian parents are called to raise their kids in the Lord. What does it mean to be in the Lord? Paul's most common description of a, of a Christian is a person who is in the Lord. Is a person who is united in Christ. The term in the Lord encompasses the gospel narrative. In the Lord encompasses the gospel narrative. In the gospel narrative, the gospel narrative is more than Jesus Christ dying for you for your sins, right? I think that's what people have a very limited view of the gospel. They just think the gospel is Jesus Christ dying for your sins. It's more, more than that, right? The gospel involves the existence of God, the way God created the universe and individuals. The gospel encompasses we were made in the image of God to live in according to God's terms, and when we live in God's terms, we have life. That's what the gospel encompasses. But the gospel also encompasses we are sinners. We are unable to live the design that God has designed us to be because we don't want to live according to God's design. That's the gospel too. The gospel is also, but even though men are dead in their sins, God sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. And so that when we're united with him, we are raised up to new life. And the gospel means there's, Repercussions, there's blessings associated with, 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 with eternal life. And the gospel also is about our future, secure future. That's the gospel. The gospel is so large and all-encompassing. Meaning, when you raise your kids in the Lord, Paul means raise your kids in accordance to the gospel narrative. Raising your children in the Lord, is it, just, it does, just doesn't mean do the right thing, kid. It encompasses why you need to do the right thing. Look, you can tell your kids to do the right thing, but unless they know why they need to do the good, right thing, they're not going to do it. Don't steal. Okay, daddy. But if they don't know why they shouldn't steal, they wouldn't want to obey it, Right? If you have a smart alecky kid, do this. The smart alecky kid will, will say, why? 
that's for just telling them to do something will not work in the long run. You need to say, you need to do, do the right thing because that's how God designed the universe. And if you don't do the right thing, you will suffer. If you don't live it according to God's design, you will suffer. But if you live it according to God's design, you will flourish. You need to tell them the gospel narrative. You need to raise your kids within the context of the gospel narrative. Look, my, what I do on Sunday nights is, you know, I pass out, right? Because like, I just... I'm comatose, right? After this, I, I, I just sleep, and I dream about Korean dramas, and I get up, and I start walking. And the thing that I do every Sunday when I'm walking is I listen to philosophy lectures. And do you know why I listen to philosophy lectures? It's not because I want to sound pretentious, but it's because it's very fascinating. These philosophers, like, like, like what, Hegel and Marx, and what did I, who did I listen to last week? Heidegger, right? All these guys that you don't know anything about. These guys have a certain narrative of the world. Philosophy is just a narrative of what they think the world is, right? But what's interesting is, even though you may not know who Heidegger is, or Derrida, or Foucault, these guys' narrative of the world influences the entertainment that you consume. The reason why I listen to philosophy is because I know the thought process of the Netflix shows that you watch. And the Netflix shows that you watch advocates a certain narrative of the world. And, you, and people live in accordance to the meta-narrative they have in their heads. People's behavior is controlled by the stories that they think is true in their brains. Therefore, if you don't constantly enforce the gospel narrative, which is a true narrative of the world, if you don't, you don't, if you don't teach your kids the gospel narrative, the world's narrative will capture, your, capture the minds of your kids. It's true. Merely saying don't steal and let your child be persuaded by the world narrative, eventually the world narrative will win. Do you know why your children, children think gay, there's nothing wrong with being gay and all that stuff? It's because of the stories that they listen to. If you can't say, oh, gay is bad, gay is sin. If you just tell them gay is sin and not telling them why, the stories will win. Maybe you're not obeying God. Because what is controlling you is not the narrative of the gospel. What is controlling you is a narrative of the world. Once again, your behavior is affected by the story you think it's true. It's not what you think you ought to do. Moral obligations does not really compel a person to live morally. It's what you think, what, what you think about reality and the story of the reality that you have in your head. That is what is compelling your behavior. The way you raise your children in the Lord is you need to raise them within the context of the gospel narrative. 
the way you raise your children in the Lord, you have to be the person of the gospel narrative. Do you know that the gospel narrative is the true narrative? Do you? Look, I was listening to, like, one of my hobbies besides listening to philosophies, I, I listen to really liberal, progressive podcasts. The more liberal and crazy it is, the more I love it. And the reason why I'm so addicted to liberal podcasts is these people, similar to conservatives, have a certain story of the world, right? Being rich is bad, right? You know, like they have certain narratives, seven or eight narratives. And everything that happens in, in, in the world, they interpret it through the lens of that narrative. It's very, I'm just amazed how they could connect totally unrelated events to their narratives. I applaud their mastery of how they totally connect, like, a, like for example, like, you know, when Asian hate crime was up a couple of years ago, right? I, look, I watched The View, you know, like clips of The View, you know, those like TV show? And they were discussing, what is the cause of African-Americans' violence against Asians? What's the cause? And the people in The View said, white people are the cause. I go, what? White people are the cause of one race group violating against another? And they said, yes. That's insane. What they're doing is they're connecting unrelated events to their narratives. Do you do that? Do you interpret all things through the Christian narrative? Or is your narrative very much in agreement with the world's narrative? You can only teach your kids what you know, really. If you really value money over God, even though you may take your kids to church, in the end, you're going to send a message, money's more important than God. That's true. What narrative are you living in accordance to? Paul says, raising your children in the Lord means you need to be in the Lord. Otherwise, how are you going to raise them? Said a lot. So, summarizing, there's a negative aspect to parenting, which is not provoking them, ignoring their humanity, seeing them as just an extension of who you are. Positive aspect is, raise your children in the Lord by you being in the Lord. Let us pray.